So he was already named that and I'm very superstitious. So I just left it, but his name honestly fits him so well that it's just, it was just meant to be. You are listening to the horse radio network, part of the equine network family. Welcome to The Ride, a bi-weekly podcast brought to you by Horse and Rider Magazine, co-hosted by Nicole Cherico and Devin Conley. In each episode, we chat with some of the industry's top trainers, clinicians, horsekeeping experts, and professionals to share inspiring stories, training philosophies, and the importance of living your best Western horse life. On this week's episode of The Ride, we sat down to talk to Nikkei Sanford, a world champion mounted shooter, successful realtor, and a social media sensation. Nikkei breaks down the sport of cowboy mounted shooting and what it entails, as well as how she came to it. She also gives us some insight into how she balances all these things and what advice she has for people new to the sport. This episode is brought to you by Purina Animal Nutrition. Level up your horse's performance this season with choices from Purina Animal Nutrition, All right, welcome back to the Ride Podcast. Today, Nicole and I are joined by Nikkei Sanford. Uh, Nikkei has made a name for herself as a top realtor in Arizona. She also doubles as an amazing mounted shooter, and she balances her professional career and equine competitions with grace and is quickly becoming a social media sensation for it. So welcome, Nikkei. We're so glad that you're here. Hello. Thank you for having me here. I think just to get started, um, if you could just give us some background on you as a person, where'd you grow up? How did you grow up? Did you grow up with horses? Is that something that ran in your family? Just kind of give us the lowdown on you. Okay, so I grew up in a really small town of like my high school or my whole school, I think was only 100 kids. So it was tiny. And I did not grow up with horses at all. Um, I competed and did a ton of sports. Like I was very active in volleyball, basketball, track, swim team. So I was always in something. Um, and I was always very jealous. There is like a small little rodeo ground in my town and there's a lot of ropers there. And I was always very jealous um, of like the kids whose parents had horses because I, I love animals. And I was like, I really want to be able to ride a horse one day or learn how to. And um, But I just, I never did. Um, so I grew up in a small town, normal family. I'm one of three kids. I'm the middle child. And I think I had a really normal upbringing, you know, happy, happy, good childhood. Um, and yeah, horses were not my thing. I'm technically like a first generation cowgirl because I feel like a lot of my friends who have horses now, they grow up in that world where like, you know, everything's normal. Having a truck and a trailer is normal where when I got into horses, that was all so new to me. Like I had never driven a truck before or backed up a trailer. So I had to learn all of that. So. So when did you officially get started in the horses? I mean, obviously you've had a passion for them from a distance for a long time, but when did you finally swing your leg over the saddle and, and get hooked? So it wasn't until I was probably 19 years old and I had just graduated high school and I actually wanted to play college basketball. And that was back in like 2008, 2009 when the housing market crashed. So essentially, that's the same time I got into real estate. Uh, my dad said, hey, like you need to give up basketball and you need to get a job and you need to start buying real estate. And I was always such a like, you know, a good kid that I just did what he told me to. 
but I had that itch to compete so bad. So I was working, going to school, and I was just bored out of my mind. Like the city life was great and all, but I could only go out to a bar or a club so many times where it just gets so boring. So uh, I saw an ad on Craigslist for horseback riding lessons, and it was 45 minutes away from me. And I was like, you know what? I need a hobby or something. So I went to boot bar and I got a pair of boots and jeans and I went to the le- a lesson to take a lesson. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Like sports came really easy and very natural to me. Uh, no, horses were challenging, but at the same time, really relaxing. And so I was hooked. So from that lesson, I started taking lessons three times a week. And then I eventually bought a horse like three months later. And then I bought a truck and a trailer three months after that. And it just kind of spiraled into a lifestyle. So yeah, it happens fast. Like once you, (laughs) (laughs) once you get the horse and you're like, oh, I need a truck. I need a trailer. I need saddles. You need need so much. Yeah. So I needed a (laughs) truck and a trailer because, so at the time I started, I started taking lessons and then my trainer who got me started with everything, she said, um, you should just come and do some Gymkhanas with us. So I said, okay. And so I did that and it was fine. And I remember my mom came to watch me. It's the only time my mom has ever watched me ride. It was the first, my first Gymkhana. And she asked me why I was going so slow. And I was like, I just started. So it's just kind of funny, but I started off with Gymkhanas and then it progressed to barrel racing, pole bending, and then shooting. That's funny. I, my, I grew up in rodeo too. And my dad would stand at the fence. And when I would come out, he'd be like, you know, it's a timed event. Yeah. It's a speed event. Right. And I'd be like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So I get that. I, I totally get that. Mm-hmm. Um, so what prompted the journey into mounted shooting? That's so cool. We don't get to talk to a lot of mounted shooters um, and you're incredible at it. So how did that journey start from uh, uh, like Jim Canna? Yeah. So I, from Jim Canna's and I started doing, um, barrel racing and pole bending and that was essentially more competitive so I I did that for a good five six years and I remember meeting a girl who this is probably my fifth or sixth year in and barrel racing was always fun to me but after a while I think I just got so bored of it I was like a consistent 3d 2d like I wasn't the best but I wasn't the worst always won money so I just kept doing it but my horse was not he was not ever going to be a 1d horse um So I just, I met this girl and she, someone said, oh, she's a mounted shooter. And I said, what is that? And so I went home and I YouTubed it and I was like, wow, that is so badass. I was so like in awe of it. And, um, funny enough that a trainer who is my trainer now, her name is Kendall on and she's amazing. She's the only, uh, woman to have won the world championship in mounted shooting ever and this last year when I won my world championship title she actually won again for the second time so she's amazing and she lives 45 minutes away from me and so I scheduled a lesson with her and I again was hooked I went over there and it was so fun and that just mounted shooting in itself is just a whole nother ball game like you're into horses but then you once you're in mounted shooting you realize there's just, I don't know, I guess there was more skill to be learned because in barrel racing, there's only one pattern. So you can either go to the right or to the left and pole bending the same way. But with mounted shooting, there's over 80 different patterns. And you and I both know 
that horses favor one side or the other. So you also have a strategy in how you're going to run the course because mounted shooting, there technically are no rules. There are some procedurals where like you have to turn that barrel or you have to go through that gate. But for the most part, you're on your own and it's whatever you want to run. So it just makes it a lot harder. So it was just, it was so fun and I got hooked and yeah, I was taking lessons from her ever since and I still do. We've actually had Kenda on the cover of the magazine and um, she's done some stuff for us before. And, and yeah, I agree. She's, she is, if not the best, she's one of the best. Yes. And um, so that's amazing that you got started with this uh -oh. event and ended up with the best. I mean, you know, there was no stepping stones. You went from not doing it to doing it with seriously the top person in the country. So I'm sure you learned a lot along the way. Oh, no. um, did you take your horse Nicole, you? you're, you're glitching, I'm, freezing up. Mm -hmm. Mine too. Okay. We might have lost her completely. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> uh, that's all right. We'll just keep rolling. Okay. And she'll pop back in. Like, this is a nice thing that we can just edit. And <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so when it comes to, like, mounted shooting, I think, again, like you were saying, you didn't know what it was. I think a lot of people might have seen, like, videos online or they've heard about it, but they don't really understand it. Can you just kind of break down the course, a pattern, a day at a mounted shooting event? Just give us the rundown. Yeah, so everybody, the nice thing about mounted shooting, so there's six levels, and so when you go to a shoot, and there's also senior classes. So there's only six levels, You're and everybody starts off as a level one. Um, you have to have a certain amount of wins with a certain amount of people in your class to move up to a two and so forth. Um, mounted shooting in itself um, is a timed event. You have 10 targets, and the point is to run the course as fast as you can and not miss, because if you miss, it's a five second penalty, which adds a lot of time. So essentially, yeah, it's pretty simple. Yeah, that's interesting. So I didn't know there were penalties, just like you knock a barrel, like there's a time penalty, you knock a pole, there's a time penalty. Yes. And there's also for those procedures I met or procedurals I mentioned earlier, if there's a gate, which is like two balloons and you have to run through, through it or in between, if you miss a gate, it's, that's a procedural. If you hit the barrel when you're rounding it, that's a you know, five second penalty. If you drop your gun, the five second penalty. Um, if your hat comes off, that's a five second penalty. So there's just, there's a lot. So you have to be really precise about, you know, running the course and make sure that everything is in check. That's super interesting. So just, I mean, a side question, do you use a stampede string or bobby pins to keep your hat on or you just have a really well-fitted hat? No, you know what's funny? When I was a barrel racer, I could not get my hat to stay on for the life of me. And then when I became a mounted shooter, it was just so, it just stays on. But what I've learned is I just fold that lining. So one, I always get my hat fitted and I always get the top of it, the crown to be popped up a little bit so I can squish it down on my head. But for the most part, I just fold the back of the inner lining and then like shove it onto my head and it doesn't come off. <laughs> that's, that's a really great idea. Yeah. <laughs> Nicole, do you want to see if we can hear you? Oh, no. I don't think. Yeah. It's, it's, she's been struggling with her Wi-Fi this morning at the oh, barn. <laughs> it's been... 
It's been a, such a crazy journey for her with this horse. No, I bet. That's, just, that's stressful in itself. I can't imagine. Right? I mean, so, yeah, let's talk about horses. I, if I'm right, your horse is named the Donald. He is. Right? Yeah. That's his name. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that's so funny. I know. Talk about him. Where did you get him? Did you name him? No. So, he was already named that. And I'm very superstitious, so I just left it. But his name honestly fits him so well that it's just it was just meant to be. Um, so I had to put my, unfortunately I had to put my mounted shooting horse down during COVID and I had a, uh, two-year-old that I had purchased to be my backup. And she was my first mare I've ever had. I've always had geldings and she was great, but I had her in training and I was doing mounted shooting training with her for probably a good four years. And she was okay if you shot off of her going slow, but the minute that you added speed, she did not like it. She was really anxious. She would run away, grab the bit. So I had a really bad accident on her. And I just said, like, I'm in my 30s at this point. I don't have time to be getting hurt. <laughs> so, so I decided, unfortunately, she's the only horse I've ever sold. So I decided to find her a new home, which was really hard for me because I'm very stubborn and I wanted to make her work because I loved her so much. Um right. And Kenda was like, you know, you need to, you've been at this for years now and you deserve a nice horse. So she was kind of took it upon herself to find me a horse. And she texts me one day and says, hey, these people coming down from Washington have a really nice Palomino. And she sent me a video of him. And he was started in raining. So he carried his head really low and his tail was all swishing. His owner was an older gentleman, maybe in his 60s. So they were just pony loped through the pattern. And Donald's head's literally almost touching the ground. His tail is switching. And he just looks really foxy and not smooth. And she goes, he's really nice. And I go, one, Palomino's my least favorite color. (laughs) (laughs) I'm biased. I like, I'm just, I love bays. Oh, me too. Yeah, I love bays. And um I was like, I don't like the way he moves. I just picked him apart from the video she sent me. So she's like, okay, no worries. So then a couple weeks later, they ended up they end up trying to make a sale video and they asked me if I can ride him and do a pattern on him and run him so for a sale video. And the minute I got on that horse, I was like, oh, he's really nice. <laughs> and I mean, he was just, you could just like, put your finger on the rein and just kind of go like this. And he's so smooth and he's, um, he's so respectful and he's all business when you're in the saddle, but when you're off, he's just a big character and a big goof. Um, so I rode him, I did a couple patterns on him and I was like, wow, I, I want this horse. And at the time they were asking almost $50,000 for this horse. He was trained. He's very well bred. Um, he is, uh, his sire is Mr. Boomer Jack. And, and then his, on his damn side is, um, Tari's little vintage, which is really big and raining. So oh. and he started as a rainer and just like early, like nothing very serious. Um, and then they made, then they trained him in roping and then mounted shooting for three years. And I honestly, I've been around these people there. They train with Kenda as well. I don't even remember this horse. That's how just like, he just was not eye-catching at all when someone else was on him. So then when I rode him, I was like, oh, he's really nice. And so I talked him down in price, a lot in price. 
And I just guaranteed he'd be have he'd have a great home and they really liked me. And so we made it work. And I entered last year, everything I entered, I would win it to the point where I won overall um, state champion, um, overall lady state champion, and then my class. So it was like a trifecta. And it was just, I was beating the pros. I was beating the men. Nobody knew this horse had that much speed. Nor, nobody knew how athletic he was because he was just kind of mopey and slow lope through the pattern all the time. Um, so he was just, he's awesome. He's so I love him so much. He's like my heart horse. I look at mounted shooting and I'm like, how did I do this sport without him? It's it's just insane. And that is so cool. I can totally empathize with that because you might love a discipline, but when you get the right horse oh, yeah. and you guys click, it's yeah, like you said, like, how did I ever do it without this horse? Yeah, yeah that's a very cool thing. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's shopping for a mounted shooting horse, what do you recommend they look for? Definitely brains. So Cause I feel like you can teach a horse to be athletic, you know, they're, you know, they're animals or athletes. They naturally, I feel like, I guess I shouldn't say naturally, but you know, I feel like you could, especially with my first mounted shooting horse, he was halter bred. He was really um, like stout and all looks, but like, no, he had no athleticism, but a good two or three years into the sport, he finally was able to get it. But again, he was really smart as well. So it, it didn't take much to get him um, gun broke at all. Like he did not care from the get-go, which makes it super easy on you. It's the ones where, like my mare, where they have that anxious mind or they, um, I guess, are just maybe a little more spooky than or hot, hot horses. Sure. For the sport, when you're getting into it, like you don't want a runaway because what you're one-handed and you're... The thing about our sport too, is you're not looking where you're going. You're looking at your targets. So you really have to be a good rider and you really have to trust that your horse is going to listen to you. Um, and so, and when they don't, when they think they're, you know, running away with you and you're one handed with a gun, that's just when it becomes really dangerous for everyone involved. Um, but I definitely think brains, um, I think the easier horses, the ones who kind of take a moment to think about things and, um, I think age has a lot to do with it. I think you can get a horse started pretty young, but I think taking them slow and building that confidence, doing those patterns for a couple of years, I think that is what really helped Donald because he's the most confident horse ever. And I, and he's so smooth through the pattern. And I honestly think it's because his last owner was in the senior division. He went a lot slower. He didn't run his legs off and he just built confidence for years. And, and a lot of people don't have the patience to do that. So so definitely brains, yeah. I think, having a good level-headed horse. And that's such a good point to just, like, take your time and be patient. Yeah. And like you said, that's hard for people. Mm-hmm. It is, and especially but... in this sport because there's over 80 patterns. So the horse is always doing something different, which is a, another reason why I love this sport. Like, the horses in this that do this sport are so broke because we're always constantly changing what they're doing. And, you know, it's not repetitive and so – I don't know. I just, I have a newfound glory for, um, mountain shooting horses. And, and I also think if they have, and I'm being a little biased, but I think because if they have a reigning background where they stay underneath you and they're respectful of you being one handed, that also helps as well. So. Oh yeah. I I can totally see that. And then just thinking about like, okay, you have them in an arena with a loudspeaker and announcer, a crowd add in balloons add in like high speeds and then add in shooting (laughs) and 
Like you need a really bro course for that. You do. You really do. And a lot, there's not that many young people in this sport. Like I'm in my thirties and I'm considered one of the youngest. Um, okay. And there are you know, younger people in their twenties where their parents do mountain shooting. So that's why they're able to, because their horses are handed down, but it's not, I think coming across a good mountain shooting horse, it's really hard. So it's not easily accessible for people. And if you do come across they're they're worth a lot of money or they're just more than the average, you know, barrel racing horse or rope horse or whatever. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I'm sorry that you had, you know, you lost your horse during COVID. That's uh... That's okay. A terrible yeah, thing to lose one. I know. But, um, let's talk equipment because I think that's again something that you know people might not have any idea right. what kind of equipment right. is, is involved. So, like, what kind of guns do you carry? Do you have to have any sort of special equipment for your horse? Does he wear earplugs? Um, yeah, just yes. all the equipment talk. So definitely, I get that's probably the number one question on all my videos: is is the horse wearing? ear protection. And it's, yes, they have, there's a couple different types of ear protection. There's some that look just like, kind of like these styrofoam cat toy looking things that you stick in their ears. I wear the ones that have a string attached just so I don't forget to pull them out. Um, and some horses, I think there are some horses that ride with no protection, but that's because the horse doesn't want the ear protection in just like us. Like there's some people that they'll listen to music instead of having, you know, earplugs in so it's just all preference but yes there are the horses do wear ear protection just like the people should as well um other equipment are your guns um you so to do this sport you have to have a single action 45 revolver and you can use any brand that you'd like um it has to be single action which means you have to pull back the hammer for the gun to go off every single time um, I get, that's another question that I get a lot in my videos is what kind of ammo are you using? So the ammo is essentially, it's a 45, it looks like a regular like bullet, but, or shell, I should say, but it doesn't have a bullet inside. So there's no projectile. So they're actually, it's a blank, it's a 45 shell filled with black powder. So it will only dissipate about 12 to 15 feet, maybe. And we're outside a lot and we're running. So the wind will, tends to carry it off. So you really have to be pointing at your target and really be on it. Um, and as far as distance, I think if you shoot behind you, you can get your ammo to go further. And if you're in an inside arena, your ammo will go a little further than outside. Um, you also, there's different types of gun belts. So I wear the one around the waist. Um, but there's also dump holsters where they come across your shoulder and you kind of dump the first gun in and grab the next one. Um, and then as far as the sport too, you have to, it's called cowboy mounted shooting. So there's also a dress code involved. So you have to have a cowboy hat on. There's two options. You have to have a cowboy hat on, a collared long sleeve button down shirt, chaps or chinks, uh, and then that's about it for that. And then there's also another dress code for the women who, if you'd like, you can wear a skirt and you don't have to wear a hat. Um, yeah, you don't have to wear a hat for that. I tend to do the cowgirl look just cause I think it's cool. <laughs> oh, it's so cool. Yeah. And people agree on your videos. And I think that's something really important to note for people that don't know anything about this event is it's not live ammo. Cause I've seen com comments of people that are like, this seems so dangerous. Yeah. And it's like, it's not live. No. Ammo. And so we're able to shoot in a spectator, you know, environment because it's not live. And people will say, 
well, why aren't you using live? And well, one, we're popping balloons. And two, that's just a waste. And it's dangerous. Why would we, why we're not going to go waste ammo and then, you know, put, throw it into a crowd. No, it's just nonsense. So no, it is special ammo and it's very safe. And yeah, good. And the crowd loves it. Um, well, there are often times where we perform at rodeos or will there, they will have a shoot at a rodeo. And I think, I don't know why they don't have it more because it's just so fun to watch. So fun. It's so fun to watch. And so that's, that was my next question was like, what's the atmosphere at these events? Is it just, um, do you find it different from like barrel racing? Do people really jump in and help each other out? Is it like a friendly atmosphere? Yes. A hundred percent. So that's probably my second favorite thing about this sport is the community is so helpful. And I attribute it to maybe because I don't know if it's because it's co-ed. So there's male, you know, male and females. And then also um, the age group is just a little older. And don't get me wrong. There are some, there's always drama a little bit. But when I, compared to barrel racing world, compared to this, no, everybody likes each other. Everybody is so helpful everybody supports each other. Like I will be even I'm consider myself pretty competitive, but I will be standing there before a pattern and the girls in my class, I'm a level four and we all run just as fast as the sixes. It's it's insane. It's one of the most favorite class to like for everyone to come watch because how competitive we all are with each other. But like, we're all smiling and talking amongst each other. And at the end of it, you know, congratulating and Hey, that was a nice run or Hey, whatever the commodity is so just positive. And, um, so yeah. And I don't know if it has to do with the age group. Again, it's an older demographic. So I would say like the average age in the sport is probably maybe in like thirties. No, no, I would say forties, forties. And it goes all the way up to people like in their seventies. So it's just a really wide range of, um, adults, I guess. That's so cool. Yeah. I'm such a big proponent of like, we can be super competitive and want to beat each other, but also congratulate each other if we don't beat each yes. other and like be friendly and helpful. Yes, for sure. So the community is great in mounted shooting and they're so welcoming and they're, there's always, somebody is always that willing to lend a hand. So love the community. That's so, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are a world champion. Mm-hmm. What's that story? Tell us that story. Where is that event held? What does it take to get there? Yeah, so there's there is definitely a, like a point system. Um, and I go to enough shoots, so I don't really worry about the points. I just kind of so in my sport too, the prize is money. So um, kind of like barrel racing, I feel like it's like gambling. The only difference is I always tell my barrel racing friends is um, I go, you're almost paying the same amount as an entry fee, but the amount that you went back. And the times you get to run is so different. So at a normal shoot, you'll get to run, there'll be three stages where at a main match, there'll be five stages. And there's also different side pots you could also run in. So I'll go to a a major and I'll probably run 12 times throughout those five days, which is awesome for me. Um, so there is a, definitely a point system to get to worlds. Worlds is held in Amarillo, Texas, and it's the last event of the year. And so I went my first year where I was doing really well as a level one, and I did not do very well there. The, uh, arena, the main arena is so big. So your timing has to be like, you are used to shooting and running 
at a certain speed. And then whenever you're in kind of like barrel racing, whenever there's a larger pattern, things change. So with shooting, it's your timing. So you really have to wait a lot longer than you normally would. I did not do well my first year at all. So it was a good experience. I learned a lot. And then I didn't go again until I was a level three. And that's when I had Donald and I was winning everything. And I was so confident. And I, you know, we went, we went to Vernon, Texas, which is a town a few hours away before world. And I did horrible there. I kept hitting barrels, which is something that I had never had a problem with Donald with. We were doing awesome. And then we get to Texas and he starts shouldering the barrel every time we have a rundown. So I was like, great, we're not going to do very well. So practiced and worked on him with that there, drive to Amarillo and uh, worlds, you know, starts. So there's five stages and the classes, usually a big class is a good, like seven to 10 people. That's like, it's, it's a good class. At Worlds, I think my class had 22 people in it. And so it was really big. And so, and a very competitive, there was one girl where her and I were neck and neck the whole time. And it wasn't until the last day that they changed the order. So I was running before her every single time. And I was really running and pushing Donald um, at just like at a further speed. So whenever I was a one uh, or a faster speed, I should say, Whenever I was a one, I would just, my goal was just to shoot all the targets. And if I shot clean, most likely I would win. I I didn't have to go that fast. I just had to be smooth and clean. As a two, same thing. As a three, when it starts becoming more competitive, I always had this strategy where I would not look at how I was doing. I would just hope for the best and think I just, I gave it my best and that's what it is. And I quickly learned that once you get to a higher level, you definitely have to be strategic in how you're making your runs. So you can either do a business run where you just have it clean or you need to go for it. And I realized in tech from Vernon, from the shoot before, I really needed to go for it at World if I wanted to win, which was for the first time ever because I hate looking at where I am. I hate looking at the standings before a shoot because I just feel like it gets in your head. So going on the last day, I was neck and neck with this girl and they switched the rotation. So I went first and I was sitting there thinking and I go, okay, I need to have an amazing run that I I don't want to look back and say, I didn't give it my all. And so we go in and we have just a flawless run and it, it felt so good. And the announcer and the crowd is going crazy. And she's like, she, and the announcer says, she's taken the overall fast time, but my class isn't even done yet. So I think he was, I don't know why he said that, but I loved it. But at the same time, there was still the girl who I was neck and neck with. And I'm talking about like tens of hundreds of a second off from each other. We were both clean that whole time. Um, So running five stages, being clean, that's that's a big deal Um, just because it's so many runs and that's essentially you haven't not made one mistake. So I go out there and I have an amazing run and the pressure, I I just, I literally was done with my run and I wanted to cry because of how you just have to hold it together because the amount of things you have to think about when you're running, you are thinking of, you know, you load your gun. It's just, there's so many things. When you go in there, you load your gun, you make sure you're putting the right ammo in. And that's another thing. 
the ammo that we use sometimes could be bad ammo. So sometimes you can shoot at a target and it doesn't go off. And that's not your fault. It's just literally all luck. So I really check my ammo. Not that I don't know if it helps or not, but I always shake it to make sure I can hear something inside. And I make sure that there's no like dents on it, that when my primer hits that shell, it's going to go off. So I'm like very like OCD about loading my gun. And then when you're in there, you're also worrying about, okay, you know, and I kind of talk to myself in my head when I'm making a run, you know, like pull, pull out your gun, aim at your target and wait. And I'm, and you have to wait as far as like pulling, okay, pull the hammer back, shoot, where's the other target. Now you're turning. Um, So there's just so much to think about. And then once you hit your fifth shot, you have to holster, grab your other gun, and then there's another five more targets. So a lot to think about. I got done with my run. It was flawless. Crowd is going crazy. And I literally wanted to cry just because I finally just could breathe and was like, oh, I was, I'm done with it. Well, I honestly think that the pressure got to my competitor. She went after me and she kind of blew it. Her, she had a really bad gun change. She ended up missing. And as soon as she missed, I said, I won. Like, and I, I literally cried because of just how much pressure it was to be there and to not have made a mistake. That was probably one of my proudest moments ever. And yeah, cause just to be far, far away from home, I think I was two weeks away on the road and it's a lot. Traveling is a lot. So I give kudos to people who do this for a living because for me, it's just a hobby, but yeah, it was, it was amazing. And I ended up, I think that also, um, so worlds is done and you're done with main match. And then there's still a side pot called the double down, which takes the top fastest girls from, so the ones and twos compete against each other, the threes and fours. And I was the three at the time. And then the five and sixes compete against each other. I went in there, smoked my double down run. And I was a three beat all the fours. I was just on cloud nine. So that was kind of like the cherry on top. And it was amazing. And, and it was very cool to also have been there with Kenda for her winning her second time because she's literally been, she's my trainer since she's been my trainer since the get go. So that was cool. This episode is brought to you by Purina Animal Nutrition. Level up your horse's performance this season with choices from Purina Animal Nutrition, from Purina Ultium competition formula to Purina Impact Pro Performance and everything in between. Purina has the right option for your horse, including supplements like Purina Supersport Amino Acid Supplement, Purina Amplify High Fat Supplement, and Purina Outlast Gastric Support Supplement. There are many choices for optimal nutrition when you choose Purina, all backed by science. Level up your performance this season and put Purina's research to the test. Ask for Purina at your local feed retailer today. Yeah, what an amazing story. And I'm sure the relief of like walking out of the arena when you were done and just being like, okay, I crushed it and now I can relax a little bit. I mean, can't relax until you've won for sure, but I can also uh, understand probably how your competitor was feeling because I've been in that situation where you put so much pressure on yourself. You end up just kind of, like you said, like making a mistake because it's so much pressure. Yes. But that sounds like the trip of a lifetime. Everything came together for It you. was really good. It started off not that great. And I was just like, I probably needed that because at Worlds, I did not have any issue with my barrels or anything like that. So, um, but yeah, the sport is very humbling as well because the minute that you start running faster, then your timing with your shooting gets off. So everybody goes through that um, 
in this sport, the, the higher up and the faster you're running, then your shooting has to catch up as well. So it's, re- it's really humbling. And so great sport. Love it. I'm, it's so addicting too. I always feel, I always tell people you should definitely try mountain shooting. It's, it's, it's like a drug. <laughs> Well, I think after listening to this interview, I'm guessing a lot of people are going to want to try it. And also after watching your videos. So like you mentioned earlier, you're also a realtor, you're a very successful realtor. Um, and so you have this, I think what people love so much too about your persona is you have almost like two sides. You yeah. have this like realtor side, very professional um, business lady. And then on the other side, you're just this like wicked cool cowgirl that's out there doing cowboy mounted shooting. So how do you balance that one? And uh, what are you able to apply any of the lessons that you learn from the horse industry to your professional career? Uh, yes. So how do I balance it? Oof, timing and I guess being on a routine all the time. So I think with horses in general, people are normally on a routine, or at least I was. I was always, you know, wake up, I would go feed, go work out, go back out there and do horse chores, like pick up stalls and wa- do waters, grade the arena, that kind of thing. So with with real estate, because at first I was with horses before I was in real estate. I actually went to school, I went to college for speech therapy and I hated it. And it was during COVID that I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is my one opportunity where the world is changing. I can get my license and go into real estate and just crush it. And I did. I love my job so much. And I think just being competitive out, I guess, in the arena or in mounted shooting has helped me with real estate because that's how I am. It's very competitive. Um, especially the time when I joined was when the housing market was nuts and there was, there wasn't any houses available. So you really had to schmooze it with the listing agent. And I'm kind of a, you know, a woman of my word. And I really prep my clients to be like, we have to go in all this. And if we agree to this, we have to stick by it. And I always set expectations. And I think I've learned that a lot with horses as well, or horse people, um, you know, I just kind of live by the rule of treat everybody how you want to be treated. And, um, you know, in the horse community, I tend not to be, I think I learned this from barrel racing. I tend not to be clicky at all. I talk to everybody. I, um, you know, I'm friends with a lot of different groups and in mounted shooting, it's, it's no different. And I think that's really also helped me be just a likable person because I'm, if I hear something, I don't repeat it, you know, and I don't ever put in my two cents and I just am very neutral based. And I think that's what makes you a good realtor as well is you don't, you're not picking, you know, one city over the other. I will drive all the way to, you know, the smallest little town to do a sale. And I'll also go to the most expensive city here in Phoenix. So I'm, I do not judge as well in my business either, because I think a sale is a sale. And so I guess I've got that from, I guess that's like, you know, the down to earth, small town girl in me. Um, that's really helped me in my business. And I think just being in the horse community as well has just taught me a lot and how to deal with people, different groups. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And, and there, there are so many different groups of people in the horse world and so many good people. There are. But then you do run across like some some tough times where you know somebody says something about you or doesn't like you for some oh, reason. Yeah. And 
That's hard. That is hard. Um, I definitely had lots of that in with barrel racing. I, I shouldn't say lots. I just had one group, I guess. Um, but in mounted shooting, I think I went in there knowing how to handle myself with people and was just mentally like I would never put myself in that situation where I would give someone something bad to say about me. So. Yeah, that's a really good outlook too. Yeah. So what advice, uh, just a couple wrap up questions here. What advice do you have for someone that is listening to this or watches your videos and they're like, I want to be her. I want to be a mounted shooter. That's so cool. How do you get started in it? So I would definitely, and I get this question a lot in my DMs. There's a bunch of girls who are always like, how do I do this? And I always tell everybody like, you only live once, go do it. And mounted shooting, it's such, there's such a big, you know, age gap between everybody who competes that I literally anybody could do this sport. And I have seen where people, you know, as young as, you know, 16, 17 are doing it. And then people as old as in their seventies who've never done it before get started in it. So I definitely think having a good, um, start with just taking horseback riding lessons, because again, we are one handed so you have to be able and just be a confident rider, but you have to be able to ride one handed and your gaze is going to be somewhere else. So I always tell girls who message me, what do I do to get started? I, my first question is, do you ride? No. Okay. Go take lessons. And once you're comfortable and, and I mean like changing leads and, you know, once you can, I always prepare for the worst. So I'm like, once you can be loping bareback and turning barrels, you know, and having a good seat and be confident. Okay. Well then your next step is you need to get a horse. And when you get a horse, you need to be able to do all that with your horse. And I think, um, you know, if you're fortunate enough to just buy a mounted shooting horse, that would be great because that would save you a lot of time, but definitely get with someone who's a local trainer. Um, mountain shooting is nationally recognized. So people can visit cmsaevents.com. And I think there's a tab where it says trainers and it will give you a contact for someone in your area, but definitely get with someone to show you the ropes because there's so many things with this sport. I mean, you also, you need to get holsters and guns. And, um, I think the horse is probably the most, the hardest part is just getting a mounted shooting horse, but, um, they will definitely show you the ropes and everybody is so welcoming. And I think everybody's goal is to make the sport bigger. So everybody I know would love to get more people into the sport just to make it big and be able to do rodeos and bigger, bigger events and uh, have people recognize it as a normal rodeo sport. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And it's, I think like you mentioned, people that go to these events just to spectate, love them yeah. because the action and like, it's, it's so fast paced and so fun. And like you said, so friendly. And so just to get the word out for people that want to compete, but also like people that just want to go watch. Yes, exactly. To grow the event. Yep. And on cmsaevents.com, I believe that's the website. It's CMSA stands for cowboy, um, cowboy mounted shooting association. Um, there's also a tab where it shows all the events and you can pick a state. So there's literally, there's stuff going on all year round. So there's always somewhere or something to go watch and do and get involved. And if, you know, I would just go to an event, if you really were serious about getting into it and say, Hey, who's the trainer around here that, you know, gets people started and somebody will always point you to someone. 
Well, that's great to know where people can check out those events. I'm so glad you came on to talk to us. And now I would love for you to tell people where they can find you on social media to follow along with your journey um, or like find out more information about you. Yeah. So my Instagram is just Nikkei, N-E-K-K-E-I, or on Facebook, I am Nikkei Sanford. And yeah, I'm an Arizona cowgirl and feel, you know, say hi and reach out and I'm a really nice person. <laughs> I try to answer everybody in my DMs. And that I'm sure is a lot of messages. You're on TikTok too, right? Uh, oh yeah, I am on TikTok. On TikTok, I think it's Nikkei. Um, K, it might be Nikkei KK. I don't remember what my TikTok handle was, but I'm sure if you look up Nikkei, you'll find me. It's the same profile picture. It's my real estate picture. Um, and, and if anybody ever wants to buy real estate here in Arizona, please reach out. My contact information, email, everything is on all my Facebook or all my social media handles. Yeah, definitely look her up and watch her videos. She's really easy to find. She's just the cool, awesome lady <laughs> on a horse shooting. Um, so thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so happy we got to talk to you and I hope you have a great Thanks, day. Thanks, you too. Once again, we'd like to thank Purina for sponsoring this episode of The Ride. Thank you guys for tuning into The Ride Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Horse and Rider Magazine on social media and find us at horseandrider.com to see all the cool things that we're up to. And if you have any comments or questions, please be sure to hit us up at horseandrider at equinenetwork.com. We want to hear from you guys. And if you like what you're listening to, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes.